Evan. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Rundown. Let's, Let's go. go. Every time I get hyped up doing that pre-dance thing that we do. Uh, <laughs> welcome back to Runtime Rundown, everybody. <laughs> I am Evan, and I'm here with uh, Joe. What's up, Joe? I am Joe. Uh, how are you doing, Evan? How's how's your week been going? How was how's the week post uh, post rowing the boat down the video game river? I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly what I was going to talk about. My <laughs> week is good, um, and I have to know a critical piece of information. So last week, most of our listeners probably didn't make it this far in the episode because it was like one hour and ten minutes in, but we had a special segment with a special guest, mm-hmm. Rowan, and I got to know. How did he react? He was great podcast star, by the way, born star. Yeah. How did oh, he yeah. react to hearing himself on a podcast? Oh, he loved it. He could not get enough of it. Uh, he he just kept asking, like throughout the whole week, he just keeps asking to hear it in the car on the way to school. And and uh, yeah, it was, it was, so he had cool. so much fun. Yeah, I mean, I had a ton of fun. It was super cool. He's such a such a cool kid. Yeah, uh, he's a, he's a and great also kid. Has the best toys like he's got such cool stuff it's really yeah, he's got a zelda i know he's got a whole zelda outfit uh well anyway so that's really cool how are you doing joe how was your week i'm good my week was good um i have a uh I, I have a thing right now that i'll tease for the good news cruise later in the show but um i have a shout out for adam k that uh that has has written into the show before and uh he reached out to me at work and uh, asked about, or he, he said that he had, li- well, oh, well, I, I'm going to save this. I'm going ju- to, I'm, I, I, I'm biting my tongue so that, so I don't jump into the story. So I'm going to save it for the good news. <laughs> I'm going to tease this thing and here's what it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the entire description of it in detail. <laughs> oh man. Okay, cool. I'm excited for the shout out. Uh, what else is, do we have any other, I think we could just probably get right into it by asking a critical question. Oh, what are you reading? Okay, I am reading, uh, let's see, what is the name of this? How to Misuse and Abuse Dora Metrics. So uh, this is another Abinoda uh, article. And um, Abinoda has, we've done a couple of his articles in the past where he goes and reads a study and then he uh, he writes like kind of a summary of it and he links to the study and he adds his own thoughts. So um, so yeah, this week we're going to be talking about Dora Metrics. So I thought I should give a little bit of a background on that in case a uh, listener doesn't know what Dora metrics are. Um, so Dora metrics are uh, uh, metrics that came out as part of the, so Dora stands for uh, DevOps, uh, Dev, uh, what is it? De- I'm going to, I'm going to mess this up now. Um, DevOps, DevOps research uh, assessment. So there's this team, um, DevOps research and assessment team. And they wrote a book called Accelerate uh, that was based on a study that they did, like this long-term study um, where they tried to correlate high-performing companies with metrics, with like certain metrics. And they came out with these four metrics and they, they some people, I've heard them called the golden four, uh, but at this point they're just referred to as Dora metrics. And they correlated that like, you know, uh, it, yeah. So anyway, the, the four, the four metrics are lead time for changes. And they're a little confusingly named. I've never, I have a hard time always remembering these names, but uh, lead time for changes, which is basically like how long is it between the average uh, commit to when that commit is deployed? 
Deployment frequency is number two. So that's uh, how often people are deploying code. Number three is mean time to recovery. So if you have uh, a system goes down, how quickly do you get it back up? And the last one is change failure rate. So how uh, what's the percentage of time when you are deploying code that you are introducing something that takes down a, a system somewhere? So that's what Dora metrics are. Um, Avi Noda's article is uh, is is based on this paper called "How to Misuse and Abuse Dora Metrics." So it's basically like, uh, you know, it's 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 your typical story of taking some uh, some numbers and like twisting them to uh, achieve your own goals, even if they don't necessarily uh, say that. A classic story, older than time. Uh, <laughs> get metrics, abuse metrics. Yep. Uh, point to metrics and say, "Look what we did," and then like completely decoupled from the underlying goal. Exactly. Um, the funny part is, so there's, you had sent me another <clears throat> article about like Dora metrics and, and, um, what are high performers, mid performers, low performers and stuff. And I read through this article cause I'm not super familiar with Dora metrics. Like it's not something I look at, um, day to day. So this was sort of not first exposure, but it's definitely not on the forefront of my mind. So I, I start reading this other article, which is basically how Dora metrics can measure and improve performance. So it's like oh. <laughs> a pro Dora metric article. And I start reading them like, oh, lead time. We got to do, we got to get to elite performance less than one hour. Oh, that deployment frequency. We got to get, we got to be an elite performer multiple times a day. And I got, yep. I immediately fell into the trap of like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back and I'm going to start measuring these things and we're yep. going to get to elite performance status. And it was then I, then I switched over to reading the actual article, which is how to misuse and abuse door metrics and just deflated the balloon like that so fast. It's like, oh, they got me. And I, so I yeah. get how this can happen. Um, the the article, again, it's like an article about an article. That's how you notice deal. But the main section I think to focus on is the common misuses of the door metrics. So like that's that's the underlying article is talking about how how these get misused. And the first one is one that I definitely almost got caught in reading the other article was focusing too much on speed. So those first two, that first metric or kind of the first two metrics, lead time and deployment frequency, you could focus on just those as an organization and get your lead time down to like an hour and your deployment frequency down to five times a day, 10 times a day, continuous deployment, continuous, you know, CICD, everybody loves that. And you could win on those metrics uh, and, and immediately have like, look at they're up and to the right. So good. But then you have no quality control. Uh, and then without quality metrics as guardrails, speed, like frequency and speed of deployment could actually be a, a problem. You know, you could have negative customer impact. And that's, you know, that was one of the things they said is focusing too much on speed can result in poor outcomes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and we can we can talk a little bit more about like the metrics cuz I do think that the metrics themselves, I mean they've they clearly like are are uh, uh there's some correlation between them and high performing teams. It's not like the it's not like the how to use and mis or how to misuse and abuse article is totally uh is totally um um canceling out the the actual ways that you can use the the door metrics for good. Um but yeah, if you like focus on just one, if you just focus on speed, then you're going to be potentially sacrificing quality. That's what it's kind of what I like about the metrics is they give you some levers to pull. So you can say like, okay, if we're, if we're looking to, uh, you know, we, we're only releasing once a quarter or like once a month or something like that. And it's like, we, we really are focusing too much on 
having a uh, a really highly polished product except that like once we deploy that we get all this feedback that it wasn't what it, it what it's not what users actually want you know we would probably be better served if we were creating an mvp and then deploying that and getting user feedback quickly even if it's even if it's not perfect and uh and so th so there is like it does give you a lever to pull because because that tells you okay we can maybe deploy more quickly except then you also have to look at the flip side and that's what i think you're talking about with this first point is like you can't just focus on one of the metrics and assume that you're all of a sudden going to be an elite performer uh yeah and 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 i think it's it's funny cuz i actually was just talking to a, a, a guy that we used to work with or that I used to work with. I don't, I'm sure, not sure if you ever did, uh, who went over to a startup and he's having his team focus on, uh, the, on the door metric. Like they're, they're kind of introducing the door metrics as something to, to start tracking. But he was like, just so you know, you can't just deploy faster. Like you have to also pay attention to quality and make sure you're not introducing all these new bugs. Because if you do yeah. one without the other, you're just, you're going to end up in a bad place. Yeah. So there, the, um, we're talking about elite performers or whatever. I want to just add the context from this other article. We'll link them both. Uh, it was taking each of these metrics and saying, what are elite, high, medium, and low performing uh, metrics or like uh, numbers for those metrics. So like lead time for changes an elite performer is less than an hour from commit to deploy. High performance is like one day to a week. Medium performance, one month to six months and low performance more than six months, which is crazy. If you have a commit and it doesn't go out for six months to production, I don't, uh, I don't know if that ever happens. Maybe like in, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, chips or something. I, like right. Where were that's, the, right. That's like exactly hardware. what I, yeah. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking too, is like something you have to send to, send to manufacturing Space. somewhere to get it. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so then there's deployment frequency, which is elite performers are multiple times a day. So that's basically like continuous delivery. High performers are one week to once a month, which I think I would take, uh, I'd sort of take issue with like once a month being a high performance deployment frequency, but depending on the context, medium performers are one month to six months, low performers less than six months. And then I don't want to go to, this is getting boring, but mean time to recovery is just less than an hour if you're elite and change failure rate is zero to 15% of your changes cause fallovers. So I just wanted to like quantify some of these metrics if you're wondering kind of to get, read that in the back of your mind about what you know about your system and kind of you can put yourself in those buckets. Yeah. And I think that the, the like high performer, low performer. Oh, for one thing, uh, I read this recently. It might've even been in the, in the Abinoda article. Uh, uh, the, I read that they got away, they, they got away from the elite, uh, uh, whatever the word is like, um, uh, demarcation, you know, they got away from that term. So oh, weird. Now Why? Was it like uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. No, no, just, I just mean like they're only focusing on low, medium, high now. They kind of like, I, for some reason decided that the elite, uh, you know, uh, level was not, I don't know if maybe it, it was like not correlating like they thought it was. Maybe they got some new data. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Okay. But they, they stopped cool. using that one. So it's just high, medium, and low. But I would also say that like they use those, um, they're, they're, they're not just arbitrary. Like they come from, uh, if you say that, uh, uh, high performers are, uh, deploying once a week to once a month, they they categorize high performers in a specific way in in the book like in the uh the accelerate book and i don't remember exactly what it is but it's like they categorize it by uh i don't know if it's like revenue i forget i forget exactly how they categorize it but it's it's there is a connection between how often they're deploying and uh, like some business metric that the that the companies are are oh, making that's a perfect segue to the next bullet point which is um 
Another common misuse of Dora metrics that they call it in the article is setting goals around Dora metrics themselves. So like the quote is the goal isn't better Dora metrics. OKRs should, if you don't know what OKRs are objectives and key results, uh, like planning, you know, what are your, what are your goals that you're trying to hit? Uh, OKR should be focused on desirable business outcomes. So choose the goals and then choose the metrics that aligns with those goals. So if you have uh, a business goal of getting more like kind of rapid feedback from your customers. So you want to have, you want to ship smaller increments and because you have a good feedback loop, like a good flywheel with your customers. And your goal is to get that and iterate and, and um, use a true agile methodology. One door, like one metric you could use is deployment frequency to say like, how often are we deploying to get more value, more features to customers faster but you shouldn't just say we want to improve deployment frequency because it doesn't mean anything by itself. It it means something in the context of a broader business goal. So I think that's like you you just said it when we're talking about high performers. They're not high performers because they deploy once a week. Right. It's just that once a week deployments and high performers tend to go together. They tend exactly. to have correlation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, it, I mean, like it's good. Goodhart's law. I think it's called Goodhart's law. That's like the 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 law that says basically, like once you once you uh, try to. Oh, now I'm gonna mess up this. <laughs> Go look it up on Wikipedia. You you got Wikipedia. Go look it up yourself. Uh, <laughs> but I know it's like it's like once once you start trying to achieve the metric instead of that goal itself. You know, once you start using the metric as the actual goal, that it, it no longer becomes a, a, a useful metric. Yeah. So this is, this was like uh, I said in the beginning, I read all this stuff. I was like, oh, we're going to start tracking Dora metrics and I'm going to get better at the Dora metrics. It's the, it's the exact trap. It's exciting because when you see a metric that you know you can measure and it matters to people, there's something enticing about that where you want to, at least I do want to make a dashboard so that I can show it goes in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, and that's that feels good. And it's just easy wins. I think sometimes a lot of our wins are really hard fought. Uh, the further you go in your career, it's like harder and harder to actually get get your wins because your time horizons are much longer. So you know, years and years ago, whatever, it's like, oh, I made the made the component, whoopoo! And then now it's like, well, I have six months from now, I I've removed three of the barriers of the ten that I need to eventually make this change. And yeah, <laughs> in two years from now, when my beard's a little bit grayer, I'll actually be done <laughs> with the thing that I planned to do. So it's just like these things are super enticing because it's they're quicker wins and they're very obvious to point to. So I get it why people would set goals around this stuff and push the goals uh, because it's just like, oh, it's, it just looks so enticing. Yeah, exactly. And and you, you mentioned dashboards too. And number four, oh, we'll skip over number three for now, just because you mentioned dashboards. And uh, number four is using the Dora metrics as vanity metrics, which is basically just like setting up a dashboard and showing it off to everyone and having everyone be like, hey, everybody, look at how good our Dora metrics are. Um, it, even though they're like not necessarily, you know, not necessarily correlating to any of your actual team's business goals. So, you know, that's, that's kind of an important thing uh, to keep in mind. Um, Another thing, oh yeah, we can jump back to number number three, which is mistaking measuring Dora metrics as a way to improve. So, uh, so it's like rather than just tracking, you know, just tracking these metrics is not enough. It sounds like this is a response to uh, people thinking that you can just measure, you can start measuring Dora metrics and not take any action, and it, the, your your business will just automatically do better. Um, 
And the the uh, the paper that Abinoda read in this case was somebody who had talked to a lot of people out in the engineering community and and like heard feedback about how people were using these door metrics in a way that was not super applicable to their business. And it's, I mean, this is not something I don't think I would ever do is just like, hey, we're going to measure and then like not doing any do anything with those measurements and just assume that our business is going to get better. But no, you have to like look at those look at those metrics on a regular basis and say, how can we improve the business based on what we're seeing in the metrics? You know, how can we uh, maybe get fast, get more frequent deploys, but then, uh, you know, then connect that to uh, to to us actually producing more value for a customer. Yeah, the uh, so I agree with that in concept. Uh, the only thing that I think you know would be worthwhile improving for improvement's sake is mean time to restore and change fail percentage, or at least starting measuring that right away can't mm-hmm. hurt you because you'll at least start to see uh, how long it takes to restore your service and then how often your service like how often a commit leads to a failure. And I think just measuring those two things, I forget the name of the principle, but it's like an object under observation changes the object itself. There's like, I've just butchered that, but (laughs) the general concept is just by measuring something, sometimes you're observing it where you weren't before. That alone can create behavioral triggers. Yeah. So if if I never looked at change fail percentage, and I turn that dashboard on and it's like 70%, you know, or something bad, like really bad. Mm-hmm. I may have never thought about that in any real term because humans are great at compartmentalizing stuff. So we can say, oh, the app falls over all the time. It's probably for other reasons, but then it's actually your commits are like causing breaking changes in your application. And just the fact that you measure that might lead you to make subtle performance changes or subtle behavior changes. So I agree with this in principle, but for change fail percentage, I would say it's useful to just at least just measure this to start and keep an eye on it uh, because it might be good. It it might just do good things. Obviously, then you should action on it. Uh, But improving, the other thing was like improving door metrics themselves and setting goals around that is not helpful. It should be tied to business goals. Again, agree. Caveat, I do think meantime, like if you're a newer team or you own your operations, so if you're a, a team that doesn't have like another group that deploys your crap, another group that handles <laughs> stability, if you if you're a startup or you're a team in companies that are sort of independent, having a like a good handle on uh, mean time to restore and getting that down, so like having great run books, uh, having great processes, having great uh, rollback procedures, all that type of stuff, that's helpful in and of itself, and I think that's super valuable to work on. And also change fail percentage, like realizing how your failures are going and then getting that number down by itself probably means you're putting safety measures in place that didn't exist before. So those two, I actually, I disagree a little bit with maybe, I think those are worth pushing by themselves um, because I do think there's so many corollary, like just benefits around those things to help the team. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that there's, you know, there's a fine line between what this person is pushing back on or sort of like the feedback that they're hearing and how they're presenting that in in this paper or this this article. There's a fine line between that and yeah, what you're saying. Like there there probably is a lot of benefit at first with just measuring. And I think especially if it's somebody maybe in a bigger company who is like 
starting to measure these things on the DevOps side. So they are attaching metrics to like the deploys themselves, like maybe some of the, um, yeah, the, the deploys themselves. So it's not like instrumented in the application code. If somebody does that and then exposes that information to the entire company, then, oh, then like all of a sudden, oh, you have these application team, teams building client facing applications who are like, oh, we didn't even know that, that we're pushing 70% of our, of our commits are like resulting in, uh, in bugs or something <laughs> like that. I was like, I knew it was, I knew it was bad, but it's, you know, cause at that point there's, there's no way you don't know it's, it's a, a little something off, but if you can actually see that and, uh, and if it's, if it's presented to you like that, especially if it's in contrast to the rest of the company, you know, you see your team in relation to how all these other teams are, are doing with their metrics and like, not that that should be something you focus on either, because I think you can go down a bad path there too. But if you just, if you see, you know, oh, I never had any idea that like, that our team is t- double the amount of uh, bugs pushed to production than every other team in our, in our part of the organization. That, that is a, is a benefit of uh, raising that visibility, you know, only having the only change being vis- visibility. I think that probably tapers off after that first initial Right. Uh, getting visibility out there. You yes, know what it reminds me of? hanging fruit, right? You yeah, go for exa- hanging fruit, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of this app that uh, <clears throat> it, you, it was out. I, I it might still be around, but I remember this from years ago where it was like a weight loss app. And you, the only thing you would do is take a picture of the food that you're eating. Every meal, you would just take a picture of your food. You didn't need to like enter calorie information or anything like, anything like that. And their claim was that just by, t- just by observing what you're eating, you change your habits. And I think there's something to it, but like, I didn't, I don't have the research, you know, right now to like back that up, but it's just, it, I, I thought of that when you were talking about how just observing something can, can change behavior. Yeah. That's, I mean, I got to download that app, uh, <laughs> cause me, me taking a picture of like 42 metric tons of cinnamon toast crunch should probably deter me from <laughs> eating it. <laughs> um, okay. So there's so there, the final thoughts section of the article. We can get more. I don't know if you want to cover anything else, but the Albinoto was just saying there's like a, a general desire for a silver bullet for measuring development. Uh, and Dora metrics kind of proliferated as that silver bullet because they're an easy button for measuring success, that, that you have these really clear things that it's not hard to measure uh, each of these things. Like you can you can really draw direct lines. Some, some metrics are tough to measure uh, mm-hmm. and require like synthetic metrics and all this stuff. These are pretty straightforward to measure. So I think it's, it's like so, so tasty for an organization. Like we yeah. Can, we can measure these four things. Everybody else knows what we're talking about. We're on the Dora train too. Uh, but the final thought is as with any metric, and I'm paraphrasing now, it's important to make sure you have specific outcomes defined around what and why you want to measure. So measuring Dora metrics to measure Dora metrics, what is your reasoning? Is your team too slow in deployment and you're not getting customer value, maybe looking at deployment frequency uh, is a good metric to measure to deliver your business value. Uh, you know, for instance, or if you have tons of SEBs or uh, severe failures, or if you have lots of downtime, you know, maybe you can look at your mean time to recover. You can look at these things in the context of goals, but just saying tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go start my Dora metrics journey. It's just the measuring things may not be the right way to go. Yeah, uh, I think that it it is looked at as kind of a silver bullet. Like I see that I've seen that before. And I think that when this book Accelerate came out, it's a great book. I, I've read the book. It's actually like a really easy, straightforward read. It's not like d- super dense and technical, but um, 
when the book came out, I remember it really like kind of made it its way around like wildfire. And it makes sense because it, it's we, like, we're kind of in an industry where a measuring things is uh, really important. You know, it's really important to try and uh, improve with measurement, with a measurable outcome, you know, imp- see certain numbers change will, will tell you that you're improving or, or, uh, or not improving on something. And so, uh, so it, we, you know, we're in an industry where that's important, but also where it's really difficult. Like there's so much information out there that for one thing, you don't know what to look at necessarily, you know, before these, I mean, I think now it's at least in, in like my part of the organization, it's so common to hear people talk about mean time to recovery and, uh, and like change failure rate and all this stuff. But like, before this book came out, like nobody was talking about that stuff. And it's because there are just so many metrics and, and how do you narrow that down? Uh, yeah. So it just, it makes sense that, that people are looking for a silver bullet. The one last thing I would say is, uh, it, Abi Noda makes a point in here that like, also the, the, the four metrics that they talk about are just like a subset of metrics. And even in the book, they mentioned that there are a whole bunch of other metrics too, but these are the four that everybody focuses on. And it is good to, to remember that like, these are not the end all be all only four metrics that make a difference. Yeah. Well, this might, if we stop here, this could be the crispest, crisp, crispest, <laughs> crispiest, crisp, crispiest. <laughs> well, I should stop. I'm going to ruin it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to end there. Dora metrics, go to runtimerundown.com and leave some comments if you want to talk more about Dora metrics. But we're going to try and keep it uh, at a tight 26 minutes. For That's this. right. We're, we're, we're introducing a new Dora metric, which, which is comments per episode. And we're trying to make that metric go up. Yes. And we should also introduce <laughs> we actually time care about to the, what are the, you the learning. The comments themselves. <laughs> we just want to make the number of comments go up. We just want to make the number go up. And then time <laughs> to what are you learning? We want to get that Ooh, number yeah. down. Down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down, you, we down, don't care down. about the quality of the content that we produce <laughs> on the way. We just want to, woo, crisp. We just want to get down 12 minutes, you know, <laughs> nice and tight 12. Uh, yeah. Anyways, Joe, what are you learning? What are you learning? That was good. That was a, that was a nice quick, quick. We're getting the metric down, 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 down. Uh, what am I learning? I am reading a book right now uh, that's been on my list for a long time and I haven't gotten around to it. And for absolutely no reason, I'm reading an uh, engineering management book. I can't, I can't imagine why I might be reading this engineering management book. Um, I'm reading, uh, I'm reading the, uh, An Elegant Puzzle by um, Will, um, shoot, I'm blanking on his last name right now. Uh, it's the guy who does the Staff Eng blog. Um, uh, I want to say Will Smith. It's not Will Smith. Oh, no. I want to say oh, Will sorry. Shorts. Will Larson. It's also it's Will, Larson. Will, Will Larson. Will Larson. Will Smith, yeah, yeah, yeah. famous actor. Will Shorts. Also wrote about engineering management. He's <laughs> such an in- interesting guy. Yeah. <laughs> Will Shorts is the New York Times crossword guy. Uh, Will Larson, that's it. Um, yep. So so yeah, so uh, this book is great. I had, I had kind of uh, not read it before because it was like, okay, engineering management, like... I, um, I read a few engineering management books a couple of years ago and like they were fine, but I, I didn't really connect very deeply with any of them. Um, and this one I sort of thought was going to be more of the same, but it's not like I, I, I really like it because it is sort of, it feels like a, 
like a spiritual successor or like a, a cousin to another book that I really love, which is a book called Thinking in Systems by Donella Meadows. And, um, oh, you know, we can link to the, we can link to, a, there's a blog post that got me like into that book in the first place. And we can link to that, that article. But um, anyway, uh, An Elegant Puzzle is a great book. It's, it's basically how to think about uh, an engineering organization as a system and how the the inflows and outflows of like all of these different uh he kind of like makes these metaphors for all of these different inflows and outflows and um and yeah just just uh he's got a lot of really good insights uh he starts the book saying like i i i started writing back in 2007 i wrote blog posts and i wrote 60 blog posts that year and then the next year I wrote like 200 blog posts and they were all terrible. And I just, I thought that was like a fun way to start the, start this book where you're going to be like supposed to be the expert on something. You're like, I wrote a whole bunch of garbage. I think, uh, so I read this book, my gosh, like when I started at Wayfair for some reason, I have no idea why, but I think there was like a book club or something that was doing this book. Anyways, I want to read it again because I don't remember a lot of it. Um, but I did love the Staff Eng book, which Will Larson also wrote. Um, so anyways, that's cool. And I wonder why you're reading that book, Joe. Yeah, I, I don't know. Weird. What are you learning? <laughs> you son of a biscuit. Um, okay, so what I am learning, continuing my uh, ally journey, I am learning a new... Uh, auditing tool called Accessibility Insights. So I think a lot of folks use uh, Axe as their, I'm talking about Chrome browser, like a Chrome browser extension or like a mm-hmm. Firefox browser extension. A lot of people use Axe. Uh, at the place where I work, Bleep Corp, um, <laughs> we can't use Axe because Axe has a lot of telemetry and you cannot disable that telemetry. So they're sending information back to home base, which uh, violates sort of, you know, the general concept of data sovereignty. Uh, here. So accessibility insights, you can turn off telemetry. It also is a super robust ally auditing tool. Uh, So that's been really cool. I've been kind of learning how to work with that. It has like, you know, an automated regression suite that you can do where you click a button. It's like, oh, you got some problems on here. But it also has this guided manual suite that you go through sort of checklist style, sort of like the ally project. I don't know if you've ever gone to allyproject.com. They have an accessibility checklist that you can go through line item by line item. That was um, uh, not Chris Coyer. Who's the other guy on Shop Talk Show? Uh, Dave Rupert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave, Dave Rupert. Rupert. Um, yeah, so Dave Rupert is uh, like, I think co-founded or is, uh, is a big contributor to the Ally Project. Anyway, so mm-hmm. they made that. Um, and this tool is, su- is super good. And uh, like the manual regression suite is really robust. It gets you to AA. I think you ba- basically go to AA um, compliance, which is sort of the, I would say the general standard. Oh, my dogs are going crazy. (laughs) Watch out. (laughs) Anyway, so I'm learning this tool. Uh, It's really great. So that's it. Nice. That sounds great. Um, All right. Well, on that that note, I think it's time to kick it into the segment that we teased earlier. Sailing away on the Good News Cruise. I have not yet added Rowan's sound <laughs> I was going to say, did you add <laughs> Rowan's tweet? tweet? It was adorable. It. I'm yeah. going to do that for next week. Yeah. Okay. We can make, you know, 
I say we, it's always you who makes the segment. Well, we could make another <laughs> one for like the next time Rowan's on. We could be, have his own sound effect with his oh, own yeah. birds. Because yeah. we're rowing the boat, you know, and he could be like, do, 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 hear the birds That's in the background. That's right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, what's, your, what's your good news? I started with the, what am I learning? What's your good news? You're right. You did. Okay. I have great news. An owl escaped New York City Zoo. That's the great Already news. good news. Already good news. Right? <laughs> uh, an owl, a jailbreak occurred in Manhattan on February 3rd. A Eurasian eagle named Flacco got out because someone cut up his enclosure and Flacco got out. Flacco, Flacco. Uh, by the way, Eurasian eagles. I don't know if you've ever seen one in person. I've had the pleasure of meeting a Eurasian Whoa. eagle owl. Not an eagle, eagle owl. Oh, okay. Uh, I was like, are we yeah, talking yeah. about an eagle or an owl? Yeah, okay. Sorry. Are you? An owl escaped New York City Zoo. It's a Eurasian eagle owl. They are enormous. We went to this resort over the summer called, it was like Lake Placid, whatever. And there's a guy who brought like hawks, a falcon, and a Eurasian eagle owl. And the thing's like three feet tall. Wow. And enormous. And it weighs like three pounds. They weigh nothing. You can hold on. <laughs> oh, it's wow. just like, because their birds, their, their bones are hollow. They weigh nothing. It's super wild. And then their head turns around like 360 degrees and their eyes are the size of marbles. It's really, they're really giant, scary animals. Uh, anyways, this thing got out. And then all the zoo keepers, the zoo workers were trying to cap, like recapture the owl. He's lived his entire life in captivity. So they just assumed he was going to die in Central Park somewhere. But they've been, uh, they couldn't capture him. So they've been observing the bird, and now they've noticed he is confident traversing Central Park's vast acreage. They observed him hunting, successfully hunting, catching, consuming prey. He's got his flight skills are rapidly improving, even though tragically, because he was a zoo owl, he never really got to fly, uh, which, side note, I really dislike zoos. So yeah. I, I just want to put that on record. I think I think we should we should not have zoos. Uh, anyways, he's maneuvering around the park. They're just going to let him live out there. He is now a Eurasian Eagle owl living in central park. Wow. Um, so they're like, they, they want to, they're teaching people to have good etiquette when seeing him and photographing him because it's very obvious. It's not like he's just a different bird. So they've got all these pictures of him, like sitting in the park, sitting on a, you know, on a branch, just eating stuff, living his best life. So my good news is that a zoo animal escaped <laughs> and is good. And yeah, it's good. Screw it's just zoos. living his Screw life. you zoos. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's the end of my good news. So <laughs> that, here, here it is for Flacco. That's good news. Uh, it's good news for, for everybody except for one uh, thing, which is what he's, the stuff that he's eating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Small animals, maybe small dogs. You got to be really yeah. careful around. They're <laughs> really big. Yeah. yeah. They could take down like a four pound dog really. really Whoa. Uh, very good. My good news. All right. So, uh, again, shout out to Adam K. So Adam reached out to me about how he had listened to our episode on slow just tests. And he said, Hey, I've been doing some of my own digging. And he dug into his apps just test because they are slow. And he sent me, he had a whole write up, uh, in a, in a PR and he sent it to me and he had a few questions. And so I started looking into it with him and we found some places where we could uh, improve our, our tooling, like for everybody. So, so it wasn't just his app. Like, you know, it started, Whoa. In his app, the, yeah, the investigation started in his app and uh, I started looking into some of our, some of our just tooling and improved it by like, depending on, depending on the size of the app, uh, I cut like 10 seconds out of, out of the initial startup 
time. Are it's, you are you able to kind of <laughs> encapsulate what the change was? Because that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. So when we looked at this flame chart, there was a big gap, and I was like, "What is this?" There's like you know a flame chart. You can see uh, you can see CPU usage, or you can see uh, yeah CPU usage, and there's like a little thing at the beginning, a little, there's a little chunk of code where you can see, okay, here's where some setup is happening. And then there's some over on the right side. That's like, okay, here, here's where you can see the tests are running, but like, what's this big empty gap in the middle. And so I looked into it, I spent a little time and I was like, oh, this, you know, I dug and the more, and I actually, I was able to find one comment on Google that set me down the right, the right track. And what I learned is that, and this is not going to be super interesting, but I'll 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 go real quick. I learned that uh, that just so you can tell just to ignore certain uh, certain paths. You can say ignore my node modules folder because like there's yeah. nothing in there that I want to test. So, but if you do that and you say if you give it the test path ignore, uh, uh, what is it? Test path. It was, there's like a configuration setting. Yeah, I think it's test path it, ignore. But yeah, yeah, uh, that will still crawl your entire tree starting at the project root to find the paths that it should ignore. So it's still crawling your entire, your entire node modules folder. Uh, if you give it a roots, there's another option called roots and you can say roots is the source directory. So you're basically telling it my tests are in the source directory. So don't even look anywhere else. And when we added that, it, uh, it, it cut, it just cut that entire gap out. Like I looked at the next flame graph and it was like gap is gone. It was just a solid wow. wall of, what of, uh, i have to go look for this <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah what we didn't even mention this man so i that don't know like sweet. how i don't know how common it is i don't know if this is something that like it's just like you can if ever because i actually did some testing on my own like in some of my my personal projects and and i didn't see the same thing so i i don't know i don't know if this is like going to be like a solution for everybody it might be the way that our uh that that like something is set up it was actually in a thread about monorepos and this setup is not uh, in a monorepo but but the the thread itself was about monorepo. so it may depend on the on how you have things set up but wow. I was uh, was very happy happy with that. And huge shout out to Adam K for digging in and finding something we didn't even talk about. Yep. So go look at your test ignore directories, I guess now, and see what's up. Because that's right, we got it. Wow, really cool. Thanks, Adam. Yep, that's awesome. Well, I think that's it. Uh, you got anything else you want to say, or uh, are we going to call it? I think we should call it. That was the fastest episode we've ever done. Absolutely. Uh, and we could keep it that way. And if you like shorter episodes, go to runtimerundown.com <laughs> and comment and on this episode or That's leave a right. suggestion and say, man, I love this crisp format or say, I love when you guys talk for hours on end, whatever yeah. it is, just leave the suggestion because we listen to them and we really appreciate them. Uh, also, right. don't and forget to star heart and favorite us so, you know. That's right. Speaking of which, actually speaking of, of comments, we got a, a, I have another shout out for uh, Kelly. Um, so Kelly, Kelly B. Uh, uh, Kelly B, she, she, uh, she added a uh, comment that was letting us know about a bug. We fixed it real quick and, uh, it was great and appreciate the comment. Yes. Thank you, Kelly. That was super nice. I don't understand how we had a poorly cached artifact. Uh, but yeah, I don't ask questions. This next yeah. incremental static re-rendering is perfect. <laughs> Works great. Um, but yeah, Joe, Joe jumped right on that and fixed it. So thank you. Uh, awesome. So yep. we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening. And uh, that's it. Goodbye. Goodbye.